0: die meister
1: die besten les grande the champions da, 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 da. fucking hell it is good to be back it's good to be back in a champions league the pinnacle of just football really world cup champions league world cup champions league I- Probably have to say Champions League, you know? It's club football that really wets me whistle. doesn't really make you... Wets your whistle, that's when you're having a drink, isn't it? That's a wrong wrong turn of phrase. But you know what I'm saying. Tottenham Hotspur 2, Marseille nil. Wasn't a particularly straightforward game again, was it? I feel like I sort of find myself saying that quite a lot at the moment. Um, seems to be the usual kind of Spurs M.O. I'm still left guessing as to whether or not this is a conscious thing or not. Contain the opposition in the first half. Let them kind of try and punch their way out of a, whatever, punch in a dream. You know, when you're punching in a dream and it's not really happening. Because it feels that way a bit at the moment that we kind of, we absorb. Let them knacker themselves out in the first half and then just go for it in the second half. Game definitely changed, obviously, with the red card and with the introduction of Deky Kulosevsky. But this is a repeat pattern, right? Regardless of the change and regardless of the red card, we've seen this happen, I would say, pretty much in every single game we've played this year other than Southampton and Fulham, which are our two kind of standout uh, performances. There's this feeling that the way we're playing isn't sustainable. That's sort of that's the term I'm hearing a lot. sustainability in a footballing sense. Uh and the likelihood that Spurs won't be able to maintain this once we play against better sides. We'll see against Manchester City on the weekend. That's gonna be interesting. But for now, this, I mean, Marseille, they've obviously had a very, very good season. We can kind of chuck out all our derisory stuff about the French League, Farmers League and all that sort of thing. But they're obviously in a good moment, aren't they, Marseille? But we, much like kind of the Wolves game, much like, I'd say pretty much every game we've played this year, (coughs) we limited their opportunities. They didn't really create anything that, Dangerous. They had one, I think, one opportunity right then when we we're already 2-0 up. They had one opportunity where they maybe should have done better and Davies actually either blocked or made a tackle, um, which was good. But it just seems that we're so well organized when teams come at us that there must be an air of this being a conscious thing, right? Because it feels like our the way in which we are defending just seems so purposeful and so structured that there's almost an illusion of the other team being in the ascendancy and I do again you know I have my as bloke on the street man watching football from the sofa I do have my worries about how much we kind of embolden the opposition playing this way how much we are still perhaps prone to having a mistake in us um I remember about, I think it was about the 20-minute mark or so. um, There was a sort of a a pretty wild opportunity for Marseille. And I think it either took took a deflection or it was just a kind of a a cross-shot type thing that was going pretty wide. Hugo and Acres of Space decided again, as he's been doing this year. I was talking about this earlier uh, in one of the previous pods. Hugo Luis opting to punch and he opted to punch again this time. And it was an awful punch and it got us into more trouble. Um, That was a bit frustrating. But again, that was kind of like a bit of a hit and hope from Marseille. They didn't really do anything uh, to bother us. Uh, (laughs) Being brutally honest with you, when I saw that they had El Suarez, I, I genuinely just assumed that they signed Luis Suarez on a free transfer. Um, from Atletico. But obviously they haven't done. Shows you how, how much ball I know, doesn't it? But another another great result. Another great result for Tottenham Hotspur. It's great to get off to a flying start in the Champions League. Uh, the stadium sounded like it was in good voice. I'm pretty gutted I couldn't go. I was coming back from Erring uh, uh, Doors, Charlotte. Uh, we just went to... We went to France, we went to Paris the past couple of days, it's her birthday. Um, so yeah, I had a little trip there and I wasn't. it was too squeaky bum getting back in time. Um, annoyingly, I, I probably could have made it, but there's a lot of, a lot of delays, a lot of cancellations, whatever. So pretty gutted to not be there, but it was good to see the stadium in, in fine voice. Everybody looking decked out pretty well, pretty special occasion, um, Jack Pitbrook was saying on the View from the Lane podcast the other day that there's actually only been I can't, I can't remember what the number was, but yeah, there's only been I think it's four or five, or maybe it was six Champions League games at the at the new stadium so far, which obviously totally makes sense. Um, I guess the first Champions League game was that quarter final, so yeah, quarter final against Manchester City, semi final against Ajax. And then what, three group games from the last round? And oh, we got through the group, didn't we, in the Mourinho year and then got knocked out by Leipzig. So yeah, six. There you go. Six Champions League games. That's some quick maths. Um But European nights, as I've sort of said before, European nights under the lights, seeing the seeing the team come out in the all white strip that way. I really you know I really actually love this this kit this year as well. Uh, when I sort of first saw it, I wasn't so sure about the the vault, the yellow thing, but that's grown on me massively, massively. It's grown on me. Uh, really nice kit, and especially in the in the all white European version, looks absolutely unbelievable. The music, all of it, seeing the kind of the the big sort of ball flag in the halfway line, just the whole the pomp, the pageantry, all of it, with everything that comes with the Champions League. I love it and just anybody that's listened to this pod enough now knows how much I'm going to go on about seeing Spurs in Europe but I just feel like it's a it's a special, special thing. You know, seeing Tottenham Hotspur play European football. It really is uh, and I'm glad they didn't disappoint. Marseille were, they were a bit of a disgrace, I thought, to be honest. You know, I've, I've been sort of digging them out on Twitter because I found as well, I found it embarrassing, man how much they have been kind of really playing on the Arsenal player link. You know, it's their first season back in the Champions League for, I think, a couple of years. They're obviously previous European Cup winners. They've they've gotten this one over the line. They're the only French team to do so, actually. Uh, I believe so. Anyway, maybe Saint-Étienne has done it. Saint-Étienne used to be like the best team in France, didn't they, for years and years and then just sort of fell off a cliff. Maybe St Etienne have done it, but I know Marseille have done it. But to kind of come into this game just doing this, they did like this weird, like... I kind of get it, you know, they're French and they just see something like Peaky Blinders as British, whatever. But still, it's a Birmingham show, you know, like kind of this whole homage to Peaky Blinders thing ahead of playing us. Again, using all the Arsenal players. They did a little pre-match one of the the ex-Arsenal players showing up and they even put like red and white emojis in their tweet about it I just thought they lent into that far too much and especially considering it's a generation of Arsenal players that were constantly bettered by most of this Tottenham team just why are you doing it just stick to your own sort of thing and it it just feels like it's playing into a lot of this stuff that football is all about now it's all about shithousing it's all about wanting to catch us out it's about wanting them almost wanting to kind of do a north london is red tweet preempting that they might beat us or get a sneaky result here kind of thing just so they can get some kind of like whatever traction on on social media just fuck off with that shit man like it's so fucking boring. It's such a shit social strategy. It's not It's not r- remotely inventive. There's no kind of like... There's no just craft to that. Leave that fucking shit to fans, man. Like club, club admins doing this stuff. It's nice to have a bit more personality, right, from club admins. But there's a fine line for me when they get a bit too kind of like... What I would call ratio Twitter... And I know I sound like fucking an old man shouting at a cloud with this shit, but also, like, it's just lame. I just thought it was wank. And their fucking time-wasting in the second half was tedious shit, man. Like, really tedious. And the referee fell for it a lot. Referees often get this sort of thing, man. Like, he obviously felt some sort of guilt, even though... And yeah, obviously, I, I am biased towards Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, no shit, but... It was a definite red card. They made the right decision there. Um, I saw a couple of tweets being like, in the Premier League, this would have been VAR'd and we'd have been sat there for five minutes and there'd been all sorts of interpretations. But, you know, this was a good implementation of just VAR taking a sort of step aside, I guess, letting the referee make the on-field decision. It, It didn't look like there was a kind of clear and obvious error there. So they just left it to the referee's on-field decision. Fine. This is what the Premier League needs to learn from. Um, it was definitely a red card. Sonny had broken free. Last man. geezer just took him out. He tr- Maybe he made an, he went for the ball. I don't think it was like a malicious challenge. But he couldn't get there at the end of the day. And he took Sonny out as a red card. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Marseille are obviously gonna they're gonna contest it, but I always wonder this as well. Like, I always wonder what the fuck players and I get it. It's heat at the moment, this sort of thing. But really, like, what do players think they're gonna achieve? Do you think that, they, that the referees actually just gonna be like, oh, actually, you know what? Now that you've all kind of sort of surrounded me and probably sworn at me in all your respective languages and squared up to me and all this sort of shit, yeah, actually, you know what? It's not a red card. I'm gonna put that away. Um I'm gonna rescind that on field now in front of all of the kind of the watching eyes of probably several million people and just actually decide that yeah, no, you you're correct. It wasn't a red card. Just fuck off. Um but 2-0. Two great fucking headers. Two great headers from Richardson who um had a really fucking whiffy first half, I thought. Uh Maybe it's maybe it's a kind of he was a victim of the system, a uh, victim of just the way we were playing. But even individually, like if I'm being honest, even individually, I thought that's that's kind of being kind to him because I, I feel there were certain moments when he was kind of... And I don't, you know, it's, it's quite nice seeing the sort of flair from him, seeing him try some little flicks and all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to go all Alan Brazil-faced about it and get all angry about it. But just if you're going to do it, lad, just... Try at least to like get the balls or any teammates. You know, right, is that too much to ask? Um, but who gives a shit? He he really came into it in the second half, especially when when Kulosevsky came on. Uh, the game completely changed. Having actually like you know some players that aren't just forwards on the pitch is probably helpful, isn't it? Um, and also players that can do, can actually deliver a ball to those to those attacking sort of. Those those forwards we have on the pitch. Um, I, you know I'm just I'm just buzzing, just buzzing that we've we've won. I might not sound it. I'm just a bit tired again. Like I said, I've been travelling all day. Um, but it's great. We it, it's it's the first sort of it's the first match day, right? Um, a lot can change on this point, but this is probably our hardest game well Marseille away but what I mean is this is the hardest team we'll be playing and I feel like they weren't that scary they didn't have Alexis Sanchez but I mean you kind of you're clutching at straws really in that instance even aren't you we didn't have our what is he now 34 35 year old kind of fairly inconsistent player I don't know I just think i i I wasn't that impressed by them um they pressed us all right in the first half, but I don't think they even i don't think their press was even as good as as somebody like wolves's was uh Genduzzi was a pretty busy player for them. you can tell obviously he's he i mean he's always a busy player anyway right uh, he had the added incentive of getting to play against Tottenham. But it's much kind of what we saw at Arsenal with him, really, and probably ultimately why they let him go. I mean, he plays for the French national team, so he obviously does something right. But I just feel with him, there's a lot of kind of... There's a real headless chicken vibe about him. He's, he's good at running after the ball and kind of hounding the opposition, but I never really feel like he does much with it. Yeah. Um, don't know. Don't really rate him. I think he's he's all right. He's good. He's a good player. That Nuno Tavares is. I think he's awful. I think he's a woeful player. Um, you could see that. You know, Arteta. If you saw All or Nothing, Arteta definitely wasn't fond of him at all. Um, like fucking shouting in his face and all that. And then I think he. There's that one bit, isn't he, when he's like shouting in Tavares's face and then. Afterwards he tries to be all like, ha ha, ha it was just a joke. Because he obviously realized that he was being a bit of a dick. Um But yeah, w- w- weird one. Um Paulo Lopez he got caught in the face by Harry Kane as well in the first half. I thought he was just being a dick, but then obviously blood did literally start pouring from his eyelid. Uh so I think it was kind of even one of those things where Kane was a bit like, Pal, mate, what are you doing? Come on, you know me. Why are you trying to do this shit? And then when the blood appeared, Harry suddenly like just walked off a bit like, oh, shit, okay, maybe. Uh, yes, that is me having a sip of water. Um, as uh, Mark, I mean, many of you may not have heard Mark, Mark Nesbitt. Um, he's what I call Paywall Pete, who uh, is on, he's he's one of the fighting cock lads. They sometimes, they sometimes let him out and let him play in the in the wild on the main pod but usually he's on the he's on the little side pod with Flav talking about tactics and all this sort of thing kind of you know pound land extra inch kind of wannabe you know but he's alright he's 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 good lad he he he's introduced me to some danish films which you know I I respect him for that I'm a big fan of Mads Mikkelsen so you know Mark um just yeah, he's, he 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 said that this pod was just me being all like, "Oh, I'm gonna talk into my microphone on my own, and oh, I'm having a sip of water. How quirky, type thing." Fuck you, Mark. All right. Let's uh, let's get into these. do you know? I I tell you one thing actually. Um, I started off the pod singing the, the Champions League music. Um, which to me is a is a real all timer. You know, I've got this weird um ritual that I've done now is ever since 2019 since we made the the run to the final on UEFA's own YouTube channel they've got this little video which is the story of the Champions League anthem and it's a it's it's brilliant right it's it's a short mini I guess you'd call it a short doc short documentary that is it's the length it's the entirety of the Champions League anthem in full right and it's, the video starts with that and it ends with that. But what it is doing over the course of that is telling you the story. So it's from, I believe his name is... Yeah, it is. I can see it now. Tony Britton, who is the composer of the Champions League anthem. And he's taking you through the process uh, of what inspired it. I think it's like Handel Zadok the Priest, which was written for King George's coronation, I want to say. And he's saying it's all its about an affirmation of power. It's about a grand spectacle. Um, and he felt that, obviously, with the Champions League being an event that's watched around the world, they wanted music to match that. That was what he was briefed with. Um, but he's talking about it, and they also have all these kind of cut-ins from players and things like that, talking about the anthem and what it means to them and what it's like on the pitch. Um but what they do really well in this is as well is because this is part of this is filmed whilst they were recording the, you know I think they update they they keep the music the fundamental part of it the same year on year, but they update it every few years right and so I think this is when it was last updated so you actually hear certain. Sort of elements from the music being recorded in real time. So, some like the the brass instruments when it does the. um And some of the strings and whatever. I'm I'm not, I'm not selling it that well. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm selling it. Have a look at it. It's called The Story of the UEFA Champions League Anthem. But on Champions League match days, when I wake up, I'll always just watch this video. And I'm. I've never really been that much of a superstitious person, or anybody that's really had rituals or anything like that, for a lot of my life. But then, I, as I've gotten older, I've sort of—I don't even know if it's like I buy into it, like it has an active effect on anything. There's just a certain familiarity that I'm—I'm I'm really, I just like with the routine of doing that. And I just really like the video, you know. I do. I really like the anthem. It's a—it's a—it's a magical anthem for a magical competition. So that's that little uh, random bit. Right, let's go through the players. Hugo Lloris. Yeah, distribution a bit wank tonight. I thought, um didn't really have an awful lot to do. Had that one, like I said earlier, that one really dodgy moment when he punched the ball. And he had loads of time to catch it. Look, Hugo Lloris, it's his 10 years. We're not going to dig him out think he's got a year left on his contract maybe two maybe this season and next season same as Kane after that point it's going to be very interesting to see what happens are we going to keep him for a few more years is he just going to go to Nice is he going to go back to Lyon is he going to go to somewhere like Marseille who knows um, it's going to be a tough job to replace him right he's just that's the the, the solidity that he's provided to various different generations of Tottenham teams now. Um, Shouldn't be overlooked. Yes, he's not perfect, but I don't really buy that whole... A lot of people say, well, he's not perfect, but that's why he's at Tottenham. I don't really buy that, to be honest, because I think that a lot of other clubs... I think think it does him a disservice. I think that kind of... That self-deprecating sense of he couldn't do any better i think is kind of bollocks and i think is actually quite disrespectful in a way oh get me scolding you for uh, your disrespect but i do think it is a little bit because i just think he's a very loyal guy i think it's in his kind of makeup as a as a man as a player. Part of his values are to... You know, I think PSG, if I recall correctly, when the money first came in, I want to say five or six years ago now, there were sort of tentative rumours. And I think he pretty much... Did he come out? Or was people around him said that he would never want to play for a club like PSG? Um, So, yeah, like I said, I don't really buy that there's... There's nobody it would have gone for him. Look, I mean... Let's put it this way: somebody who's had a similar length career now at their respective club, David de Gea, who I do think, if I'm being brutally honest, is very sort of. I think it's quite popular to jump on David de Gea simply because he isn't Alison Becker or Edison. Uh, he's more of an old school goalkeeper, even though he's a fairly young player. But David de Gea's still a great player. But being like being brutally honest, there's no, there's no, there's no. Like competition for me at all. I, I I'd have Luis over David de Gea at Spurs. If I was offered David de Gea five years ago versus Luis, nah, no, not for me. Hugo Luis is, you know, he's a better player. I I think anyway. Um, so whatever. But again, not uh, not an overly convincing performance tonight, but a clean sheet. There you go. Uh, Clement Longley. Was interesting to see him back in the sides. Uh, obviously, he he made his like full kind of debut the other day against who the fuck was against Fulham. We lauded the control we had over the match, having that his kind of his ball playing capabilities, uh, the way in which he could you know, build attacks from the back, the way he could set the kind of tempo of play. It was it didn't feel quite the same tonight. I don't know. Um Marseille gave us a, a lot less time, right? Marseille were pressing us a lot in our own half. Um felt like we had less control. It was an interesting one. Long but defensively, you know, they they went at him a bit and he was he was decent. He was very good. Um because I was sort of worried last time I was sort of saying that Fulham didn't really test us defensively. Um, but I thought, I thought he had a, I thought he had a good game. I do. I, I like him. I like long lay. I, um, I just, I want to keep my powder dry on him a bit, you know, because I do think he's good. I do like the way he passes the ball about, but like I said, I just want to keep, but let's, let's sample size is small at the moment. Right. Let's just see. Let's see how he does. But it's 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 encouraging, nonetheless. Um, he's pretty ranges and he? he's pretty quick, and he's just he's another big lad. Our team is massive, like our team is absolutely massive all across the pitch. I couldn't really say. I mean, I was surprised that Bentenko is as big as he is. Like, he kind of just dawned on me at the start of the season. I, who's? I don't even know who is maybe our smallest player. Hoibier. I mean, Hoibier's stocky, but in terms of height. Probably Hoybier is our uh Larice, maybe. I think Larice is like deceptively tall, isn't he? About six foot. Um, but anyway, Longley is another another big lad. He's rangy. He's got a decent decent bit of pace on him. He does have a, a good pass on him. Him and Perisic, they it they, they, they was a little disjointed. I felt in that first half. Came into the game. Perisic definitely came into the game. Second half got sort of further forward, more occasions. Obviously, the goal came, first goal came from him, from his delivery. Long Lay, yeah, I mean he, he got he got replaced by Davis into into the second half and Davis made a, a good block. Um look it's not dropping and whatever, it's it's rotating, isn't it? Right. And this is the this is the thing that we keep sort of drumming into our own heads. Good performance from Long Lay. Look, it's a clean sheet, again. It's a clean sheet, and like I say, we look very organised. Defensively, we look super organised. We don't look rattled when teams are coming at us. And again, I do say it will be interesting to see if this is still the same case when we have Erling fucking Haaland and you know Alvarez running at us on the weekend. Foden, De Bruyne, but we look we look solid defensively. We really do. Um, Eric Dyer again, great performance. I thought. I couldn't really say much about uh, about him I just I just thought he was solid throughout much like he was against Fulham marshaled the defence well he's captain material isn't he really feel like he is um solid solid player uh you can tell that Conte loves him you can tell that Romero loves him um it's just great um I know sort of there's been debates and stuff on Twitter as to whether or not you want him in the England team. I just feel that I understand it. I understand not wanting really to have the players exposed to more game time, the opportunity to get injured or to get disheartened if they don't do very well, and the media starts coming for them or whatever. But on the flip side, it's such a boost for a player to get called up to a, to their national team. Like most footballers seem to absolutely love it. You know, the majority of them. Love getting called up to their national teams. Um, and I think Dyer's one of those players that really does value playing international football, has taken his exile from the England team pretty hard uh, in the past few years. And it has been pretty fucking unfair, right? It has been. Maybe we're just a bit defensive because Eric Dyer, I know he's not had the best time of it over the past few years, but still to drop him versus some of the muck that's been in that England team, I think is, is pretty bizarre. Um and it does it hasn't even washed me really sort of Southgate's whole well he's playing well in the back three and I don't really play a back three but he's played for you in the back four before, mate, and he was really good, you know. I don't know. I I'm I'm always of the side that like, you know really even when there's sort of fucking irritating things happen, like when the Argentinians disappear off in the middle of Covid and a. Uh, missing league games and stuff like that. <sighs> Look, you want to keep the players happy and most of them all love playing for national teams, as I said, so whatever. Get Dyer in there. Um, another good performance from him. He'll, he'll, he should be in that England team, based you know, on this evidence. Christian Romero, mostly a good game, but again, again, and he was on t- the appalling Tavares as well. A very reminiscent t- challenge to the one we saw him kind of put in against Mitrovic on the weekend that resulted in, in a Fulham goal. Really, kind of lazy, poked toe at the at the ball, and then just not real sort of urgency to get back and kind of try and get the ball once he had been mugged off. It was. It's just. It's a funny little kind of quirk that's developing in his game at the moment. Let's just hope it kind of. Fucks off, um, because other than that, like he's hard to fault, isn't he, Cristiano Romero? Like he's a really, he's a really fucking talented defender. Uh, as I say a lot on here, I still can't quite believe that he's ours. Um, but I do think his, He's just his endeavour, his eagerness to get forward with the ball, um, and I do think his eagerness. It's obviously I, I can imagine it's a, it's a, it's a system based thing. I can imagine Conte kind of wants wants him to do that. But he I think importantly he wants to do that. He feels confident doing that. Um because he is a good footballer. He is. He passes the ball around really nicely. He reads the he reads the play really well. Um lots of times in this game when he sort of, you know, he's very he's really far forwards. He's almost like supporting the attack. Um like an auxiliary sort of midfielder box to box midfielder almost it's it's quite bizarre but yeah he's a very do you know what the f- the thing I find interesting about Christian Romero is he's like he's of a sort of a young new generation of defenders now that makes me start to realize that like football is changing that like positions of players and stuff like that the way in which I've known them and the way in which I've processed them so far in my life for the most part is changing because the way I look at him is not the way in which I kind of am familiar with many. I mean, the shades of Jan Vertonghen about him in terms of like the way he comes forwards, the way he can play the ball, but just his kind of like, even like his physical attributes, there's just something really special there about him. I think he's really sort of, He's just, he's a brilliant player. He's brilliant. Um, even Perisic, not a great first half. Again, did anyone have a great first half? But really came into the game. He's just, he's a fantastic player, isn't he? What more can we say? He's hes won a Champions League. He's exactly the type of player you want in these big games. He's, do you know what the, the thing is? I was thinking about even Perisic, right? Is that, down the years, Spurs come up against teams like Marseille in competitions like this. If you if you imagine Sevilla or Benfica or any of these teams that we've kind of gone into thinking like, well, we should be able to maybe beat these lot, but they are actually really dangerous. And they've got X, Y, Z players. They've got... These players who are like younger, promising players and they've generally always got an older, veteran-type player. Um, PSV, remember like when they uh, when they knocked us out, when they had a Gomez in goal? That's another example of these sort of type of teams that we're fairly evenly matched with. Maybe we've got the Premier League advantage of having some slightly better players, but there's just something about some teams in Europe that just have this wily kind of experience um, and even Perisic is the sort of player that you could conceivably have seen signing for Marseille this summer if you imagine that if you if you imagine that he was he was on a free transfer he is that type of player that a club like Marseille will think alright Perisic is on a free let's have him and we come up against him in a game like this and you think fuck's sake why don't we ever sign players like that why don't we ever just why can't we ever just fucking bring in a veteran player You know, like when remember when Leicester brought in Cambiasso all those years ago, and it really sort of kickstarted their subsequent fucking title win and everything like that. Like, but we've done it now, and it is good to see that. And the funny thing is, you know, maybe a lot is made of like Conte being bad in Europe and everything like that. But at the end of the day, he he's won the Champions League as a player. He's played for one of Europe's elite teams in Juventus. I think he played for other teams did he play for Inter as well who did that I don't know whatever and he uh, he knows he knows Europe he knows the way that these kind of teams will approach these games and the other thing is like um, who was it that said it on the pod the other day it might have been Flav it might have been Flav on the fighting cock made a really good point and the point was basically that you know this whole kind of the dialogue around who should Tottenham be playing? Oh, we want big teams. We want to see us play against Barcelona. It's all well and good, but also Tottenham are a serious European team now. We've got we've we've always had European pedigree, but in the Champions League we have pedigree now. It's not about a day out for us anymore. It's not about kind of just you know oh let's just sort of enjoy it all I mean I I said that myself last week didn't I really to be fair I'm absolutely contradicting myself but just the the way in which the point was made by Flav I kind of did get what he meant in so much as if we want to be a serious team all the sort of stuff we say that we we want to be we want to win things like the Champions League we want to win the Premier League maybe we as well need to drop the fucking competition winners act um And kind of just realise that, you know, we are a proper team. We have proper pedigree. We have a massive stadium now. We need to stop thinking about teams like Marseille's. Oh, they're dangerous. Oh, we're going to spurs this up. We're going to slip up against these lot. We're not. And signing players like... This is a roundabout kind of point on Perisic. But still, signing players like Perisic is a real indication of that change, I think, in the club's mindset the fact that we are now just thinking like let's get in like these sort of seasoned pros let's let's give the manager let's give somebody like Conte these players if he wants them let's do it you know not every single fucking signing we make needs to be a Jack Clark um because I think we've seen it tonight right like when it's mattered somebody like Perisic is the one that stepped up and made the difference um in part, anyway. And a manager like Conte, as much as I kind of, I watched that first half and I found it, I found it really hard to watch. Um, and I know this is kind of, this is something that people have been talking about quite a bit over the past few weeks. Like, you know, it's great that we're getting the results, but it's not pretty to watch. And it isn't. It, it, it is kind of racked with anxiety, but we still get, you cannot argue with it. We keep getting the results. Um. And I think like somebody like Marseille like we just we weren't we weren't kind of playing into their hands at all we were really frustrating them we were really really winding them up um and they tried to sort of break up play they really tried to ruin it in the second half after they got their red cards but they couldn't do it because we were too clinical for them we were too we were too efficient really when it actually really mattered and that's kind of. It's the, it's the theme of this season and it's, yeah, dare I say, it is pretty reminiscent of Conte's Chelsea. I've spoken about that before. I've spoken about it before Conte was our manager. I've spoken about it since, that that Chelsea side were just a machine. They weren't the prettiest. That 16-17 Spurs team were a nicer team. They played better football, in my opinion. Uh, they were more fun to watch, but Ultimately, we lost out on the league to him, didn't we? Um This is all, yeah, it's all going to be very interesting to see what happens against Manchester City. Um, but Perisic, great game, great performance, great signing. Like I say, it's, it, it, I think it's it's a it's a signal of a much bigger thing going on at Tottenham that we're signing players like him now. Alongside, let's not forget, though, still Romero, Kolesovsky just a um, doggy, stuff like that, you know, like, it's good. Hoybier, decent performance. He did get, you know, him and Bentenka both got a bit swamped. Um, They're obviously targeted much like they were against Wolves, against Forest, but still good performance. He, he you know, it wasn't one of his sort of better performances of the, of the last while, but I don't think he did any, I don't think he was individually at fault. I just think he had a a hell of a lot to do. Uh, and he worked pretty hard. And I would say the same with Bentancur. Bentancur played a few like decent passes here and there. Another, Do you know one thing I noticed about Bentancur that I really, uh, really like about him is um, physically, like I say, he's a unit. He's so hard to get off the ball. It's not quite Dembele level. Don't get me wrong. But there's a shade of it there. Just in so much as... I think he's very hard to win possession off of. Um, when unless they the the main difference is sometimes I think he switches off. Like I say, he can go into that mode where he feels that he's got more time on the ball than he definitely has. Um but when he's actually on it, when people are trying to bash him and all that type of stuff, he's just such a big lad and he's so good at shielding the ball and then just releasing it to a safer option whilst he's absorbed the kind of the players pulled him out of position. The opposition players, that is. I like him. I really like him. Emerson Royale. Just an Emerson game, in it? An Emerson performance. He, I tell you what, I, I do have to give him credit for that. The Romero kind of slack tackle earlier on in the game. He tracked back and made a beautiful tackle on Tavares to get the ball back. Um so he needs credit for that. And I do give him credit for his defensive capabilities pretty much every time I speak about him. It is just that issue, though, isn't it? It's the issue of him going forwards. And we saw as soon as Kulishevsky came on, just made such a difference. Um, I'll be interested to see if Conte is going to give Kulishevsky. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. That's a horrible noise, isn't it? I've got this big, uh, big water bottle. Quetcher, um, Quetcher. There, uh, it's from Decathlon. You know the big French sporting goods megastore. Do quite a lot of outdoorsy walking stuff. I moved out to the sticks when I uh, during lockdown and everything. I quite like hiking, doing all that. Outdoors stuff, do a lot of walking. If anyone wants to talk to me about walking, being out on, in views, in woods, and things like that, please do because it's it's very much my thing as I've gotten older. That's one of my actually I've always liked. I've always enjoyed walking, but now I like I'm pretty. It's like one of my main things. I'm here to talk about football, aren't I? Not about my hobbies, but still. Um, that that was led from this this water bottle. I've got those massive one point five liter water bottles. Um, and it's got like a, the thing is, it's got like a a cap that's I can only describe it as like a leaf like design where the, the the water can trickle through. I guess it's to stop it from like pouring down your face, and it's to regulate how much you're drinking, so you're not drinking too quickly or something like that. But it's really irritating, and it makes a really irritating sort of bubbly noise. Um, so yeah, Emerson Royale. Just annoying going forwards, isn't he? And Kulisevsky is really good. And it'll be interesting to know whether or not we'll continue playing him at right wing back or not. I don't want to have to do this, man. But I'm getting to the kind of we need to talk about him in son stage. Because I know we've seen him have kind of quiet spells before. But I don't know, maybe am I wrong for thinking this? Please tell me if I am, if you feel that I am. But I don't think I've ever seen him this bad. Maybe it's sort of a level of confirmation bias. And, yeah, he it was because of his run that Mbemba got sent off. But other than that, I just don't really think he did anything that was that good at all. I feel like he felt it felt like he was out of sync with Kane with Richarlison with basically everybody around him didn't feel like he was adding much value to what we were doing at all and I you know Conte obviously wants to try and play him through this spell I think we can you know it's, it's clear for us all to see now that that's, that's what Conte's doing right but is that the best idea? Is it really working anymore? Or should we give Koscielny, Richarlison and Kane a go now? Is it time to see that that front three? I do feel that Richarlison's son Kane is in theory should be a pretty super dynamic attack forcer for as right as a forward 3. That having those two, having Richarlison and son either side of Kane should be should be catastrophic, but it just ain't working at the moment. Um, and Sonny, I hope it's nothing bigger. I hope it's not him just kind of starting to wind down a bit now. Was last year his peak? Is he on the decline now? He He, he could well be. It could well be that. But let's not jump to that conclusion yet. You'd like to think he's still got a good few years two years or so left in him scoring goals and really being a sort of valuable asset for us but It's hard to know on the evidence so far this season i it's not it's not good I don't think he's looking good at all at the moment and I do i I would just my gut says that I'd like to see koloseevski with and Kane given a go maybe even against city maybe bring Son off the bench against City to have an impact maybe that's where we can see him get his first goal when he's got that point to prove he loves a goal against City I don't know if you've seen City Twitter this week but they are absolutely shitting themselves about Son they keep talking about him cashing in his XG against City and there's sort of various different like memes and stuff just have a look it Just it's funny um, yeah I don't know I don't, do I think he'll be dropped for City? No, I don't. He'll he'll start against City. will probably we'll probably pay this same front three. I would imagine. Fine, you know, whatever. Richarlison, pretty horrible first half. Second half, brilliant. Uh, I mean, I tweeted earlier on in the week that most Everton fans I saw talking about the deal when we signed him were like, Spurs fans, you got a gem there. You're going to fucking love this guy because we adored him after 10 minutes. Really feel that way with him, man. Like, he's... He's why you fall in love with football, isn't he? And I know that stuff sounds like really mawkish, trite shit, but it's true. Like, we fucking love this game because it's entertaining but you also form such a bond with so many of the players you want to you want to root for them right you want to think that you've got a connection with at least some of them that it's not all just this kind of completely depersonalized transactional relationship nowadays that people say our footballers don't give a shit they just do it as a job and again i don't i i buy that to a degree but i don't buy it fully i think you know players still have an affinity with their clubs and stuff and you know, i fucking hate to give them this but arsenal for some reason are very i don't know what they do but i think arsenal are very good maybe it's their people behind the scenes or whatever they're very very good at creating those bonds between the playing staff and the club and the fans like a lot of their players really get what it means to be Arsenal and all that sort of thing. And they really kind of live it up. We see it a lot of the time in like North London derbies, especially the the Emirates fixture. Um, but Richarlison, I don't, I don't fuck Arsenal. Richarlison is he's a joy, isn't he? Those, those goals, man. Those goals were absolutely brilliant. And you know what? I know there's that been that whole debate who's better, Richarlison, Jesus? Or I just think both of us respectively got the right player for our right system. Fuck that shit, man. Like, Richarlison, he is, but he's, there's more to him than there is Gabriel Jesus. £60 million of Richarlison already feels like a steal. The guy is phenomenal. He's a phenomenal player. He's quick, he's strong. He's good in the air, he can use both feet, he can pass the ball, he can finish, he can read the game. He's got everything. He's got absolutely everything. And it feels like this is one of those signings that we've managed to get that suddenly all the top teams, hopefully, maybe, are suddenly going to be like, why didn't we go for Richarlison actually? Shit, that was a good signing for Spurs. And that's, that's really the way it feels. It, it really feels like it feels like a Manchester United signing of a few years ago. Generally speaking, with it being one of our players that they were taking, be that Berbatov or Carrick. We sort of said this at the start when, when we signed him, that it's kind of what big clubs do. We buy the best players of the teams in the tier just below us. But what I think we didn't maybe give enough credit for is that we got him there. We got him. We took the punt. We took a risk on a player that is pretty sensational. Um, Manchester City spent £100 million on Jack Grealish. I would say he's in a comparable talent bracket to Richarlison. Fairly similar-ish players in some respects. Richarlison probably... Bit more of a sort of forward. I think they can both do similar things, right? But you would say ultimately, Richarlison's a forward, and Jack Grealish is more, you know, attacking midfielder, winger. But there's some overlap in their skill sets. There's definitely some overlap in their aura, their personality, um, their kind of status within their respective teams as being the linchpin, of being the one that can sort of stand up and make a difference. And we're getting that with Richarlison. It just seems like he's a player with that mentality again—the right mentality, where he can step up. I was so looking forward to seeing him in this in the Champions League, um, because I just thought it's made for him. It's made from these type of games under the lights, midweek, the music, his European debut, and he scored two goals. He stepped up. He's a player that wants that platform. He's a player that backs himself. He's not going to shrink. He's not going to shrink in those situations. And I think if we are, if we do have sort of aspirations of being a serious proper team, it's players like him that are going to make that difference for us and make the fucking difference he did. Sounded like the sort of ground was erupting again when he scored. Um there's just so much goodwill there for him, right? It's already there. He's already one of the fan favourites. I love him. I really love him. I'm really happy with the signing. He's got to stay in the team now. I I want to see him playing against Manchester City. I want him there. uh, Because I think he's the type of player that can can hurt them. And Harry Kane. Pretty quiet game by his standards again. I'm sure, uh, as I sort of covered off in the pod with AP the other week, I'm sure I'll watch back over the course of the week. Harry Kane's moments against Marseille, and I'll see all these passes and stuff that I didn't really fully appreciate or soak in in the moment. Um, He had one opportunity, I think it was in the first half, when he managed to sort of break through, and it was a pretty tame shot by his standards. Pretty awful. Um, What I'm liking, though, I'm seeing from Kane come back again is like the Harry Kane from outside the box who can turn and shoot Turn and sort of snap, make that kind of just taps the ball, gives himself that kind of yard, half a yard to sort of just run onto it and twat the ball, like we saw it. You know, I think it was was it seventeen eighteen or sixteen seventeen against Stoke away. I want to say uh, the goal, the mask goal against Arsenal, a very similar thing when he's just outside of the box and he just just knocks the ball ahead for himself so he can run onto it and smack it, get that added momentum. Seeing him try and start pulling those off a bit more. um, I kind of feel like he's a bit of a victim of what we're trying to do at the moment system-wise. He's kind of seemingly caught between being the creator and being the focal point. They were saying the BBC... Uh, BBC, the BC commentary was saying during the game, and I do remember this, that uh, Conte was saying that he wants Kane to just be more of that that focal point, the arrowhead. But the way we're playing, like with, with Hojbjerg and Bentancur kind of being so pressed in midfield, Kane does have to drop back because we're not really getting the ball to him otherwise. Um, our, wang- our wingers, Our wangers... <laughs> Um, our wangers are, well they're probably getting I don't know where I'm going with that I'll, just, I'll drop that bit um, our wingers are getting kind of pressed to to oblivion and thus they're sort of not really getting the ball to him that first half there was just not a lot of kind of rhythm between the three of them at all and A lot of that was kind of... you know, In those situations, you can see Kane gets frustrated and he drops back and tries to build the play himself. He didn't score. It would have been nice to him score. He had another opportunity. I think when we were 2-0 up, he had a decent-ish opportunity and he didn't really take it. Look, fine. He's going up for the gears. He often starts seasons slow. We always say this, but he's still scoring. I back him to score against Man City in his... This is what you could have won... Type way that he did last year. It's Harry fucking Kane. At the end of the day, you don't need to worry about him. He's one of the best players, if not the best player on the face of the planet. So we're a better team for having him there, and he, he, he keeps your position occupied. But yep, yeah, that's it. Two nil. Tottenham Hotspur. We're not top of the group because so I think Lisbon won three one. Or three nil, yeah. Sporting they won three nil, so Eintracht Frankfurt bottom of the group. Tottenham second in the group. Go to Lisbon next week, um, Tuesday night. Manchester City on the weekend. Fucking hell, they looked fucking terrifying against Sevilla. Um, in the highlights that I saw but we're in Pep's head he's rattled by us the whole fan base is rattled by us um, let's just hope we can make it count let's hope we can do something against them because we're on to something really really fucking special if we can do that but even if we don't it's early days and even if we don't it's getting the wins against the Wolves the Fulhams the Southamptons There's games that we found notoriously difficult. It's not losing to Chelsea. It's just getting something from that game. It's not losing to West Ham away. It's getting something from that game. So, it's not a free hit. I don't want to think of it as a free hit and I don't think a manager like Antonio Conte thinks of games like that as a free hit at all. He will want to win that game again. Um, And, there's every chance that we can, but it is going to be tough. I mean, come on. Like, That's not a hot take. Thanks for listening. If you did enjoy the pod, please share it. Please leave ratings. Please leave reviews. Um, I have a Buy Me A Coffee website. You can find the link on the bio on Twitter. Um, Anything you can chuck my way. Any support would be much appreciated. Nothing's going behind a paywall. All the content you get right now is all the content that there will always be. Perhaps there'll be more video stuff at some point down the line. Keep getting the inkling to do more of that again. But it is also my day job. So sometimes it's just hard to sort of do that as well in my downtime. But we'll see. We'll see. It doesn't matter. Thanks for listening. Cabal News How Hold up.
0: What was that?